Well, these verses here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18 are probably some of the most well-known verses in 1 Thessalonians, and maybe even in the Bible. Uh, this is a passage of Scripture that uh, I think fuels curiosity in even the most of casual Bible readers. This passage brings up curiosity in people as they read it. The reason is due, I think, to... A couple of words we see in verse 17, caught up, uh, which refers to the future and and what some refer to as the rapture. People use that word in in place of caught up. The rapture, I think, uh, most of us, and for those who don't, uh, uh, the rapture is when Jesus comes back for the church, when He comes back for all the people of God, past, present, and future. Jesus will come back one day for His people. Unfortunately, people are fascinated by the mysterious nature of the rapture than they're interested in knowing its implication for their current life on earth. This is more, there's more going on here than just what's going to happen in the future and the promises. We, we bank our lives on these, right? We trust God that He's faithful, He will keep these promises. He's coming one day, but there's more going on here. This tells us how we are to live now, looking to that day. In our text today, Paul's dealing with the second coming of Jesus and how the Christians to live while he waits for Jesus. These new Christians here, this at Thessalonica, if you will, this is a church plant. Paul has been on these missionary journeys. He's preaching the gospel. People are getting saved. Churches are being started. And, and by the way, Paul was the first church planter. That's nothing new. It's been going on through the history of the church. And Paul's dealing with the second coming. And these new Christians at Thessalonica, they're struggling. They've heard Paul talk about this, and they're struggling with this issue and how it relates to the return of Jesus and the resurrection. They've heard him talking about this, and they're concerned. In particular, they want to know what happens to believers who die before Jesus comes back. That's a good question to want to know the answer to, right? And these people are concerned about that. They, they want to know, and, and they're asking Paul, is there hope for our loved ones? Jesus is coming. We believe that, Paul. But what about our loved ones who have died? And Paul's giving them the answer here in verses 13 through 18. And what we need to learn from these verses is how we live while we wait for that day. For Jesus to come back. I want us to see how God wants us to grieve with hope when we lose our loved ones and friends who are trusting in Jesus. And I also want us to see the reasons why we are to grieve with hope. And how we're to encourage one another with the truth of God's Word. Notice that. How we're to encourage one another with what? Not what we think it's going to be, but with God's Word. With the truth. That's what we want to comfort one another with. So if you're looking at your handout, the main idea, God's promises about tomorrow give us hope for how we live or how we face today. We look for that day, right? I I certainly hope so. I do. I I long for that day. I I look for that day. I anticipate that day every day I get up. I think that's what I'm looking forward to. That's what's coming for me. But as I do that, I also pray, God, help me to let that affect how I'm going to live today. Because things are going to come, right? Things are going to happen. And we lose our hope. We lose our focus. And so that's what we need to be thinking about today. So if you look at verse 13, handout there, it says, number one, Christians grieve with hope. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So the first thing we see in verse 13 is that phrase, we do not want you to be uninformed. 
brothers. Some of you have a translation that reads, Brothers, we do not want you to be unaware. Or brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant. Right? We don't want you to be unlearned. We don't want you to be unaware or informed about this. Paul's saying in this phrase that there are certain things that are very important for these Christians to know, but they're important for us today. These are things that are important for us to know. We really need to understand the things in this passage because truth is what God uses to comfort us and strengthen us is His Word. That's what He uses to comfort and strengthen us. Through the Holy Spirit in our lives, indwelling us, the Holy Spirit works through the Word. He brings us comfort. And so, you know, a question would be to ask is, what is it that Paul does not want Christians to be uninformed about? What is it he does not want them to be ignorant about? Notice he says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Paul doesn't want the Christian to be uninformed about those who are asleep. Those who are asleep here, don't miss this. Don't go to sleep. No pun intended. Or maybe it was. Don't go to sleep here. You want to know this. This is critical. About those who have fallen asleep or is referring to believers. Christians who have died. In verse 16, if you'll notice, they are identified as the dead in Christ. The phrase is in the present tense there, meaning all those who die now and in the future. So if you lost a loved one and any in the future, this applies to all of them. At this point, I think it's very important to explain this term asleep. Because there's a lot of weird things out there about what this means. There are those who believe in what is called soul sleep. And they apply that belief to uh, this passage here to those who are asleep. That's what they apply here. In short, they believe that at death, the soul of the Christian enters into a state of unconsciousness. The soul is asleep. And some of you are looking at me like, really? Yeah. There's a lot of people believe this. That's what happens to those who are in Christ when they die. However, here's what you need to know. In the New Testament, sleep always refers to the body and never to the soul. That's where they make the mistake. If you read your Bible carefully, you'll come to the conclusion, every time I say sleep, it's always talking about the body. It's never talking about the soul. Sleep is the way the Bible refers to the body of a Christian who has died. Sleep in the Bible refers to the body as being in a state of rest or inactivity. What is it? Is it the soul? No, it's the body that that word is referring to. The Bible teaches us that the only part of us that goes into a state of unconsciousness at death is The body. The soul continues to live. And I'm going to explain that as best I can as we go through here. Just as sleep is temporary though, so is death for the believer. Sleep is temporary, right? Some of you are like me. You wish you could have more each day, right? But it's temporary, right? The alarm goes off. It's time to go again. And so sleep is temporary and so is death for the believer. Sleep is something we wake up from. So we apply that to this here. One day the body will wake up. The Word of God does not teach that the soul, the spirit of a person is ever unconscious. It never teaches that. How do I know? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 8 says... Some of you know this verse, right? You're already saying it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8 says to be absent from the body. Yeah. To be, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, at home with the Lord. 
And in verse, and excuse me, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, Paul says his desire is to depart and be with Christ, which is very much better. You need to hang on to those two verses. You need to know those passages of Scripture. These verses teach the, that believers go consciously into the presence of Jesus at death. Read those verses carefully and read words. Read the words carefully and listen to what they say. To depart and be with Christ is very much better. Now the question is, if the soul goes to sleep, as some say, which is not true, how could unconsciousness be very much better than the, the conscious communion we have with Jesus in this life? How could that be? What did Paul say about leaving and going to be with Jesus? That it's what? Very much better. I don't think unconsciousness is very much better. In Luke chapter 23, verse 43, Jesus told the thief on the cross, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me where? In paradise. After death, the born-again Christian goes consciously into the presence of of the Lord. I don't think Jesus would have told that thief, today you're going to die and you're going to be, you ain't gonna, you're just going to be unconscious. In Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31, the rich man and Lazarus. We know that story, right? We read that the unsaved rich man is conscious of where he's at, right? This is yes. He's, he's conscious and, and Lazarus as well is conscious of where he is. Now, here's the argument some people will say about using that. It's a parable, right? Some will say, you cannot use a parable to justify that the soul is conscious because a parable is a story. It's not reality. Let me give you something here. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus, listen, is the only parable of Jesus in which he uses the actual real name of a person. That's key for us to know that we can apply this to that. So the soul of the believer who has died is ever conscious and remains so until the resurrection when he receives his glorified body. So if you have a loved one who has died, who knew Jesus, they are very much better. They are conscious. Now, I don't know to what degree they're conscious as to what they know what's going on, but here's what I hold on to. It's very much better. It's very much better. And what... Why does Paul want the Christian to be informed? Look at verse 13. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed about this because I don't want you to grieve like those who are lost. Others who have no hope. I want you to grieve with what? Hope. Paul doesn't say Christians you should never grieve. He doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't say we, we, we shouldn't grieve. Paul, Paul doesn't say that. But what he does say is this. I don't want you in that grief to grieve as somebody who doesn't have any hope. Because you do have hope. What Paul prohibits is not grief, but hopeless grief. Right? Does that make sense? We grieve. We hurt. Man, our, our hearts hurt within us. But as Christians, we grieve with what? We grieve with hope. Paul doesn't prohibit mourning or crying, but he does say that we do that with hope. How do we apply something like this? How do we take this and 
put it to our lives. How are we to think about our loved ones who are with Jesus? How are we to think about our Christian loved ones who are Jesus? How, how are we to think this morning about Bobby Thington? How are we to think about him this morning? I base what I'm going to say on the Word of God, not what I think. The moment, the instant your loved one took their last breath, their soul went to be with Jesus. That's good, right? The very moment they died, their soul went into the presence of Christ. And they are conscious of where they are. To be with Jesus is what? Very much better. The body will remain in the ground until the Lord returns to raise that body. He'll reunite that body with the soul, but that soul is in the presence of Jesus and that soul is fully conscious of the surroundings it's in. Now again, I'm not sure how much they know about what's going on here because the Bible doesn't make that clear. But I can take these passages and tell you they're conscious of where they're at now because it's what, church? Very much better. For your loved one, their death is great gain. That's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. Death is gain. I remember telling Debbie when our son died, I said, oh, Dylan doesn't lose. He wins. We lose. We've got to stay behind. He's very much better. Bobby Thornton is very much better today. Your loved one who died, who knew Jesus, is very much better today. Why is it great gain? Let me give you some things here. Your loved one is now free from the temptation that results because of indwelling sin. Wow. No more would have to deal with that. How many of you like... That's, boy, I like that. Your loved one is completely free from the very possibility of sin. In an instant, your loved one's soul was purged of every last trace of remaining sin. Boom. Dead. Sin gone. Never again will they have one sin to confess. I, well, I, I can't wait for that day. Never again will they have unholy desires. They are sinless human souls now. Second, your loved ones are now made perfect in holiness. Their mind has been illuminated and they, will, they were made perfect. Their actions match perfectly the perfect will of God. They are, they are provided with the moral perfection of Jesus. Third, your loved one now has absolute uninterrupted fellowship with Jesus. Nothing gets in the way of that. Do you have things get in the way of your fellowship with Jesus now? Oh yeah. But your loved one doesn't. Why church? Because it's very much better. Fourth, your loved one's faith has now become sight. Why? Because of their conscious existence in heaven with Jesus. They now see what awaits them in the resurrection. Phase one has happened for them. They were Jesus, and what they've lived their life believing, they now what? See. They now see the faithfulness of God as their souls being carried in the presence of Jesus. They look now with sight at the day when they'll receive their glorified bodies. 
And see, they're anticipating that day now, but they see it. Number five, this has helped me more than anything else. Think more of what they've gained than what you've lost. Think more about what they have gained than what you have lost. This will be the experience of everyone who dies who trusts in Jesus. And I want to encourage you to fill your mind with these truths of your loved ones and do the same as you anticipate your own death. Because it's coming. Look at verses 14 through 17. Your handout gives us the reasons for hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. So, Paul's telling us here, here's your current hope, and your current hope, Christian, is the gospel. For since we believe that Jesus, what? Died and rose again. To be a Christian, you've got to believe what? That Jesus, what? Died and rose again. That's your current hope. Paul says, Christian, you believe that Jesus died to pay the penalty for sin. Jesus died as a substitute for sinners in order to atone for their sin against God. Jesus died in your place in order that you could be forgiven. You believe that. That's your hope. The death of Jesus transformed death into sleep for the believer. There's no horror in death for the people of God. Death is just sleep for the Christian. The New Testament speaks of Jesus dying and Christians falling asleep. Jesus died so that the Christian's death simply becomes an entrance into heaven. That's all your death is. It's an entrance into heaven. Paul also says in verse 14 that you believe. Christian, you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. The death of Jesus demonstrates that death has been conquered. Right? Jesus being raised from the dead was God saying... This is my perfect sacrifice. Raising Him from the dead is what brings your justification. But also Jesus being raised from the dead, He conquered death, which means He's conquered that death for you. The resurrection is the guarantee of your hope, Christian. Look at verse 14 again. He talks about the hope for the the Christian dead, those who are asleep. He says, "Even, even so through Jesus, God will bring with them those who have fallen asleep. Paul says that God will treat those who died trusting in Jesus the same way He treated Jesus Himself. Namely by what? Resurrecting them one day. Even so, just as He did with Jesus. That phrase, even so, links the Christian's resurrection to the resurrection of Jesus. And in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 19, Jesus said, because I live, you will live also. Notice he says, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. It's through what Jesus has done in His death and resurrection that death is only sleep for the Christian. And they do not experience the horrors of death. Can I tell you something? Your loved one, you know, I've heard this all my life. God will give you grace at death that you don't even know about yet. He will give you grace that you've yet to experience. And I always wonder why. Well, you don't need it right now. But when that time comes, God will pour grace into you so much that you won't fear that that death. Look at verse 14. God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. The result of believing that Jesus died and rose again is the belief that God will raise and bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. Those who have died, trust in Christ. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, all who repent of their sin and believe in Jesus will be raised from the dead. And for that reason, we have hope in the midst of death because those who die in Jesus will live again. 
in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. Jesus, I love this passage of Scripture. You might want to write that down and read it later on. John 11, 23 through 26. And this can apply to your, your, your loved one who's died knowing Jesus. You need to hear these words. Jesus is talking to Martha about Lazarus who has died. Okay? Listen to this conversation. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. It goes back to what we just... You believe in Jesus, His death and resurrection? I'm the resurrection and the life. Listen to what Jesus said. Whoever believes in Me, though he dies, yet shall he live. Verse 26, And everyone who lives and believes in Me shall never die. You're like, whoa, wait a minute. Bobby died. Yes, sin causes all of us to die here, but not eternal death. Jesus says, if you believe in Me, you never die. Let me read that verse again. And I love these words of Jesus at the end. He says, And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And you know what he says to Martha? Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Look at verse 15. There's hope for the Christian living. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left into the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Based on the authority of the Word of God, Paul affirms that neither the Christian dead nor the Christian living will be left behind or excluded at the return of Jesus. This isn't Paul's idea. What does Paul say? For this we declare to you by what? A word from the Lord. The Lord will come and He'll first resurrect the believing dead and then He'll raise up the Christians who are still alive. Yes, every living Christian will experience a resurrection in the sense that their old bodies will be transformed. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, right? Notice the phrase, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Those alive at the return of Jesus will not have an advantage over their dead loved ones. Remember, that's the question they've got. What's happening to our loved ones? Those who die before the return of Jesus will not be inferior to those who are alive. All Christians will participate in the return of Jesus. And if you're these people and you've been fretting and worrying about that, Paul says, i got a word from the Lord. This is what's going to happen. What does that do to you? Man, you grieve, but you grieve with hope. Notice in verses 16 and 17. Hope in future events. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Paul, having just assured the, these Thessalonian Christians that their loved ones will not miss the return of Jesus, now gives a step by step description of Jesus' return. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven. Can I tell you, church, one day Jesus Himself is going to come for us. He's not going to send an ambassador. He's coming Himself. He won't send an angel. He won't send a representative. Jesus Himself will come for His people. 
Look at verse 16 again. Jesus will come from heaven and He will do so with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Notice it says a cry of command. Some of you have translations that says with a shout. It, it indicates an authoritative sound that is spoken during a time of great excitement. Actually, this phrase and this wording has a military um, nuance to it. It's that of a commander that says, fall in, get in line. Those of you who have been in the military, right? You know what happens when the officer walks in, right? Everybody falls in. That's what this cry is. Everybody get in line. Jesus is here. We're out of here. That's what's going on here. John chapter 5, verses 28-29. It says, An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice, and they will come out. The cry of command here will be with the voice of an archangel. An archangel will add His voice to the command of Jesus. And it says, The sound of the trumpet of God. Trumpets, if you read the Bible carefully, are used during times of celebration and triumph. That's what trumpets are... Read the Bible, and every time a trumpet's being blown, it's always celebration and victory and triumph. The idea is that of pageantry. It stresses the majesty of the Lord and the greatness of that day. And then it says, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Our loved ones who died in Jesus will rise when? First. They have a place in the events of that day. They will rise first, and their glorified bodies will be joined to those spirits which now dwell consciously with Jesus. The idea is that Paul is once again assuring and he's comforting Christians that there's no possibility that those who have died in Jesus will ever be separated from Jesus. Don't have to worry about that. Paul has said, notice, don't miss this. Notice what Paul says here. They died through him, they sleep in him, they will rise with him, and they will come with him. Jesus and his people belong to each other, and nothing can separate them. Nothing. Verse 17. Those who are alive who are left will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Keep in mind, again, the concern that these uh, new Christians had about loved ones and friends who have died in Jesus. Keep that in mind. They're concerned that they will be left out of this event of the coming of Jesus. And Paul's answer is this. You don't need to worry about that. Your loved ones and friends are going to be the first in line. And you, if you're alive at the return of Jesus, you'll be second in line. Your loved ones are going to be raised first, and then you're going to be caught up with them. And all the dead in Christ and all of us who are alive are going to be with the Lord for how long? Always. Don't you love that? We will always be with the Lord. How long is always, church? Always. In other words, Paul points us to Jesus' physical return and our physical resurrection at His second coming. and He says, you will always be with the Lord. Notice verse 17, it says, Together with them. There's coming a day when there will be a wonderful reunion. Together with them. There's a coming day when those who have died in Christ and those Christians who are alive are what? Reunited. 
at the resurrection, we together with our loved ones and friends who have died will meet Jesus together. And all of us are going to be with the Lord how long? Always. Praise be to God. We will always be with the Lord. Paul points us to Jesus' physical return and our physical resurrection. He says, you will always be with the Lord. Always with the Lord. Paul says it will never end. All believers will be together forever in the presence of Jesus. It's kind of like Christmas, right? You can't wait for that day to come. And when it gets here, whoo, glory. That's, that's what we need to be thinking about this day. But what happens on December the 26th? Christmas is over, right? But not here. Always. Always with the Lord. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 is application. Comfort one another. Therefore, based on what's been said in verses 13 through 17, encourage one another with what? These words. Not your words. Not the world's words. But what words? These words. Paul says encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with the truth. Take the truth of the Word of God and use that to encourage one another in times of grieving. That's a novel idea, isn't it? Take the Word of God and encourage people with it. We, we, we think, I have no idea what to do. Paul says, here's what you do. You take the Word of God. Not just in this situation, but use the Word of God to comfort people in all situations. I'm grateful for the Word of God. I'm grateful for truth. Aren't you... And we all want the truth, right? I'm grateful that in times when my heart is so overcome with grief that I can go to the Word of God, in particular this passage, and I can find comfort for my soul. Jesus did this. He encouraged His followers on the night He was betrayed and the night before He was crucified. Listen, in John chapter 14, verse 1, some of you are already starting to quote it. Jesus is speaking to His disciples, and His disciples are filled with anxiety and worry. And what does Jesus say to them in John 14, 1? Let not your hearts be what? Troubled. Now, how does He encourage them not to have troubled hearts? What's the next phrase? Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Do you see what Jesus did? He connected their trouble to the truth about God. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? If I go to prepare a place for you, I... Go ahead. We'll come again. And take you to myself, and there where I am, you may be also. You need to read those verses in conjunction with the verses that we're looking at today. Paul says he got a word from the Lord, right? The Spirit of God, but he knew the words of Jesus in this passage too. That's not the only time Jesus does this. In John chapter 16, verse 33, he does it again. He says, in the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Jesus acknowledges that there's going to be times of trial and tribulation, right? But He says, take heart, take courage. Don't be afraid. Why? Because Jesus has overcome this world. And Jesus is connecting the anxieties of this world to the truth of the Word of God. And so what does the truth of God's Word do? It helps us as to how we are to respond, how we are to cope with trials and tribulations of this life. What in the world do I do? God in His Word. That's what we run to. Paul's saying, 
to these new Christians. Encourage one another with this truth. Believe these truths. Bring the Word of God to bear on your life. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, you can find comfort and strength. You know, for the last nine years, there's not been a single day when my heart has not grieved. But because of what I read here, because of the promises of God, I grieve with hope. But I want you to know also that my heart grieves for something else. And I think that's our problem today in the church. And let's go back to verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. What does that tell us? There's some people who have no hope, right? These words cause me to grieve. When I'm at the mall, when I'm at Walmart, when I'm at the carnival, when I'm at the beach, when I'm in a restaurant, I'm thinking, how many of these people have no hope? You ever think that? These words, who have no hope, should cause us to see the urgency of getting the gospel to our community, to our family, our friends, our county, our state, our nation, and to the ends of the earth. There ought to be a sense of urgency in us when we read those words. There are people who have no hope. Some of us are sitting here today, we know people who have no hope, right? Let me close by saying this. There are some of you who are sitting here today who have never trusted in Christ. You have never turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus. You've never trusted in His death to pay the penalty for your sin. You've never trusted in His resurrection. And here's what I want to say to you. The return of Jesus is grief for you. That's the last thing that you want to happen if you're sitting here lost today, is Jesus to come back. Just as much as I anticipate as a believer, you as a lost person are to be dreading that, not wanting it to happen. Because you're apart from Jesus today. You have no hope. You cannot, at the return of Jesus, throw up a quick prayer and everything will be okay. Today, the Bible says this, today's the day of salvation. Today is the day that you must repent of your sin and trust in Jesus. Today is the day when you move from no hope to hope in Jesus. Today's the day. Let's pray.